Ksuvas Perk Tess Mishnah Vav 9.6. This Mishnah really is a direct continuation of the previous Mishnah, which said that the husband is able to waive the requirements of the wife to have to take any shfuas before collecting her ksuba, and not just to him, but even to his heirs, to his children. Now, the point of the Mishnah here in a nutshell is that even though he may be authorized and able to waive any requirements of his heirs to require the wife to take a shvua and swear before collecting a ksuba, that's only if she didn't act for them independently as some kind of fiduciary, as an apitropa, whatever that meant, she's managing the affairs of what became their their estate. So if she's managing uh, the shop or buying and selling, but effectively it's on their behalf, meaning after their husband, the father, her husband's no longer there. So then whatever power the their father, her her late husband, had to waive any rights. I mean, that's that may be true, but since she also served as a fiduciary for her, for his children, his heirs, so then independently they have the right to say, "Listen, you acted as an apitropus, administering our stuff, and therefore we insist you take a shvua." And then, in such a scenario, the rule is, as we said already, that when one acts as an apitropus, as a fiduciary, whether a trustee or a proxy, agent, etc., so then you can be forced to take a shvua that you did nothing wrong, no malfeasance, no misappropriation of funds, even with the tinus shema, even if there's no certain claim against you. So that's the point of our mission here. In a nutshell, if she stopped managing the affairs of her late husband after he died, so then they can't require her to take a shvua, assuming he waived that requirement. But, if she continued to administer the affairs of the estate after her husband died, as we'll see in the mission actually after he was buried, so then they could say, listen, whatever my father waived, that's fine for him, but since you also administer our affairs, our money, our assets, on the basis of that, we're asking you to take a shvua, the shvua zapitropos. So, here the mission is inside. Halcha mekever ba'ala leves avia. If she went directly from the graver of her husband to her father's home, the point being here, that she, after the burial of her husband, she didn't go back to the office or continue on the job she did. No, she went on with her life, no longer tending to his affairs. Or similarly, it doesn't matter about her father, even if she went to like her father-in-law. So let's say she's living with the, the heirs themselves, even. If she no longer served the role of an apitropa, again, that's the feminine of apitropos, meaning some kind of fiduciary, whether that's a trustee, a shopkeeper, agent, whatever it is. So then, then the heirs cannot require her to take a shvua before collecting her ksuba. Again, we're only talking where the husband waived that requirement. If he didn't waive the requirement, they could indeed make her take such a shvua. But if the husband waived it, so and, and he said not only for me, but also my heirs, like we said in the previous Mishnah, that would be binding. Vimnasis apitropa. However, if she functioned as a fiduciary on behalf of those assets, which no longer are her husband's, but now they belong to his heirs, and she went back to the shop and bought and sold something, um, or handled the money, so then, hayorshin mashbiyanasa. Then those heirs certainly can make her take a shvua, the shvua apitropos, regardless of what their father might have waived, because he couldn't waive their own independent rights to make their fiduciary swear to them. They can make her swear on what literally means on the future, but not on the past. So what we're referring to here is, we're talking about the that which she did after their father was gone, 
they can force to take an oath on. She can make it take a shvua because that's their own rights when she served as a fiduciary to them. But what she did on behalf of her, their father, they cannot make her take a shvua because that's he he waived that. Now, first of all, this seems a little bit redundant. I mean, we're repeating the fact that if he waived the rights on the past, then they can't make a swear on the past. Um, so why does the Mishnah say it a second time that it says that they can't make her swear about the past. So what it means here is that once they've got her to take a shavua on as a shavua sabitropos for what she did with their assets, so the usual rule is once someone's taking a shavua, so then the rule is you can also be magalgalin, you can like roll on additional things that she has to swear about, as we said before. The point of permission here is there's no Gilgal Shvua authority. They can't say once you're taking a Shvua about what happened after Dad was gone, also sort us about what happened when he was still alive. They cannot do that. Now, the words um, Allah Asid and Masha Avar are really not precise because Asid and Avar mean from that moment on or the future from then on. Of course, she's not talking about that. We're talking about what happened before and after, or I should say after and before, um, their father was no longer around. Now, really, Meikra Adin, it would make sense that the dividing line between before and after should be when the father died. Because the moment that the father dies, the estate immediately transfers on to his heirs. It's immediate. Like the din is, the way it's written in Shulchan Aruch, anyways, is that when a person hears that their father died, they make two brachas. One, brach da'ina emes, on the bad news of the father dying, but also hatova metiv, on the good news of him getting the inheritance, because the nachla, the inheritance, flows immediately. Um, so that would be sensible to make her have to take a shvu on everything that happened and the cutoff be from the moment the father died. However, the rabbis extended the window not to when he died, but to when he was actually buried. Um, and she wouldn't have to swear on that anyways. And the reason why is, um, there are a couple shots were given. Um, one is that since she's the one who's handling the financial affairs anyways, if she was afraid to do anything further, lest she be dragged into some, you know, shvua situation, so she wouldn't actually do what had to get done to get the money needed to arrange the burial, etc. And we don't want that to happen. We want him to be delayed in his burial, and therefore we don't um, inhibit her ability to transact with the funds of the estates, go back to the shop, get the money, buy and sell something to get money, whatever the story is, in order to arrange for a proper funeral of her husband. Um, a second shot is that it's sort of a, you know, it's a chaotic and, you know, disorientating time when she loses her husband and she can't necessarily be expected to be so precise in terms of her, you know, tracking every penny what she's spending and so on at that time. So we're going to sort of let her fudge it a bit and give her a waiver and give her like a, you know, a give her a pass on that period. And that's the second shot. At all events, we're talking about, you know, we're doing this for the sake of what's best for, really for her husband and her. Um, and therefore she doesn't have to take a shvu on what happened in terms of expenses she incurred or transactions she did between his death and his burial if she's acting on his behalf to arrange for his, to arrange for his burial, etc.